I am Sandy Willette. And I am Nancy Marie. Co-chairs of Beyond the Mass Committee to evaluate scholarly doctoral projects. Next deadline for work to be considered to present on Beyond the Mask is October 1. Please complete the one-page application found on Beyond the Mask webpage to be considered. We look forward to working with you. Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs and advanced practice nurses with certified financial planner Jeremy Stanley and CRNA Sharon Pierce. Jeremy Stanley has worked with CRNAs for more than 23 years, and Sharon Pierce is a former president of the AANA and the NCANA. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA and advanced practice nurse industries. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7. Hey there, this is Sharon. I am in Washington, D.C. at Mid-Year Assembly, and unfortunately, Jeremy couldn't join me here at the meeting. However, listeners, I have been joined by one of our new guest co-hosts, Tracy Castleman. Tracy's been a longtime friend of mine and is one of the group I affectionately call the Fab Four. Tracy, thank you for joining me. And so why don't you tell a little bit about yourself before we get started and introduce our fantastic guest that's going to break you in today. Well, hello, and thank you for letting me join you. I would would have hoped you would have said, but we are fortunate to have... Tracy Castleman here. Well, but we that's are. Okay. You know what? This is my first one, so that has yet to be seen. If we are fortunate or you poor people are going to hear a disaster. Um, I'm Tracy Castleman. As Sharon said, I practice in New Jersey as a CRNA. I practice in a, a medium-sized group of really, really terrific CRNAs. Um, I work in one of the best practices I think that there is. I love the people I work with. I have the good fortune to teach uh, Rutgers University students clinically. I get to lead them in a little bit of their research projects uh, for their DMP, which I have to say, it's so much nicer to be on the other side of guiding them along than being the one on the hot seat. I am a mother. I have two grown sons, and I love to travel. Well, how's that? To the right place, Washington, D.C. So we have a wonderful guest with us today, and I'm going to tell. It's Julie Goderman, but I still call you by your other name you had before. That's how you are in my phone. I had to look. I just had to type Julie (laughs) (laughs) to get it. So Julie, thank you for joining us today. And why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll introduce your topic. Sounds great. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I, like Tracy, this is my first time, so I'm very excited to be here today, and I always love coming to Washington, D.C. I have been a CRNA since 2009. I graduated from the University of Minnesota's program, which was also, it's affiliated with the VA in Minneapolis, Um, and nurse anesthetists play such an amazing role in the VA, so it's a great place to train. I have served as the federal political director for my state uh, since I graduated, and that role is really interesting. I don't know how many of the listeners are familiar with kind of our 
things we do within our association and some of our lobbying efforts. But uh, basically, my job with that has been to kind of connect our state uh, leaders and other CRNAs and students with their federal representatives. And this meeting is such a great uh, contact point for that. I also am the Associate Director for St. Mary's University of Minnesota's Nurse Anesthesia Program. Is that new? Or how long have you been there? I started there actually in 2019, so right ahead of COVID, which is a phenomenal time to have made a job change. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all know about that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I had about a three and a half month lead to kind of figure out how everything was uh, right before it completely turned 180 and became everything it hadn't been. So, mm-hmm. um, which was also a really great opportunity because we were able to make a lot of changes that mm-hmm. I think resulted in some positive impact for the future. I was going to say good disruption. Sometimes when mm-hmm. when everything's yeah. disrupted, it's a great time to be new. It's like we had ideas, but there was just no place to really like push them through because we were all busy. You know, education, there's, you know, there's never time, there's never money, there's never people. So uh, like you're always life. doing <laughs> more with less, right? It's parenthood, it's all of that. But yeah, in addition to that, uh, in kind of the fall of 2020, I actually started my own anesthesia business. Um, I provide the anesthesia you, services. You didn't have enough to do? No. And didn't you have a baby in there somewhere? I was working on that, yes. Um, my youngest is now <laughs> We'll talk about that <laughs> offline. <laughs> 17 months old. Our oldest is actually 21. My husband had two children when we met, so um, we cover uh, diapers to college. We have two in college. We have uh, one in elementary school. Who's, he's eight, and then I have a 17-month-old. Wow. And then, yeah, I have my, my oh, business nice. in the school and a little bit of everything. Well, I heard you speak this morning, loved your topic whenever I saw it on the agenda, and it's on how to develop your elevator speech. So Mm. why don't you kick us off telling us about an elevator speech, and then we'll go from there. Awesome. Yeah. I think, you know, everybody has a little bit of an idea of what an elevator speech is. I'm Uh, sure about that. You don't think so? I think she's right. You know, I think it's your number (laughs) one way. So you know, every time we talk, we are controlling our message and our narrative. And some of these moments, you know, they come in passing and it's like two ships in the wind. And if we don't have, I think, an idea of what we would say if or in this environment, you miss those opportunities to have that impact. So a great example, you know, I remember once I went to go hear uh, Jim Gaffigan uh, was talking mm-hmm. and uh, it was ahead of the show and it was at a smaller venue. And so it was right in the check-in area and he came walking through and I stopped him and, you know, we chatted a little bit and I was able to introduce myself, which is a really important part of an elevator speech to be able to say who you are. So they kind of have a little context of where you're going with this and not wanting to take advantage of your time, his time. You know, you need to be very cognizant. Elevator speeches typically are short. They might be 30 seconds. Maybe they're a few minutes, but it's just that little window to make that connection with somebody that maybe has them understanding who you are and what you do or what you might be able to do for them. And so uh, we just had a couple minutes. I, you know, introduced myself, said who I was, wished him luck on his show, said we were excited to be there. He was turning and walking away. And I think the difference is, and it was a very funny moment with somebody that I do still have a lot of respect for in a lot of ways. But um, as he turned and walked away, uh, and that person that I was with had said nothing, you know, like, so I talk about those missed opportunities. I think he all of a sudden got the panic that like he needed to say something. And so he like was like, hey, Jim. And you know, Jim Gaffigan turned around and he goes, I'm looking really forward to it. (laughs) And like, there was just like this blank stare moment and he like walked away. And, (laughs) and I think back to that and like this person now, you know, could speak to anybody, you know, very easily, but we all have this process and there's always people, I think in our different walks of life that we will encounter that it's easy to get 
kind of overwhelmed or that imposter syndrome. And so I think the concept of an elevator speech is great because it it lets you step outside of some of those nerves of meeting somebody that you're you feel like is so far above you that you can't make that connection. And you know, we all use elevators, we all talk. And so when you can think ahead of how you would say a certain message that's really important to you or near and dear to your heart, then those little quick run-ins really have impact. So we're here in Washington, D.C. So contextually, what the elevator speech would be is how do you introduce yourself to your congressman, which would also flow down to the state level to your legislator. And many times you've just got a brief amount of time. So I didn't get to hear your whole lecture, Mm -hmm. but what did you say to people out there about how to develop their elevator speech? I would also, if I can jump in, um, say for somebody who's listening and who's not, who might never lobby or go down to their state or their federal, this is also a great way to put together a couple of words if your administrator is on the elevator with you mm, at work or point. head of a department or you're walking into the ice, you're new in the, in the hospital and mm-hmm. it's your, um, your mustaires, what you want mm-hmm. them to get from you. So I think it's worthwhile to understand this is something you can use not just with your legislators. Absolutely. And actually, if I can take that one step farther, I think, you know, in our workplaces, uh, (laughs) at home, (laughs) the children, um, even though, you know, we provide care at the bedside every day, you know, Mm. nurse anesthetists, we're 60,000 strong across the nation. How many anesthetics are we doing? How many patients are we impacting? And I think our best elevator speech is at the bedside. You know, every day when I can walk in and greet a patient that's in a very, you know, scared, stressed moment and be able to say, you know, good morning. I'm Julie. I get to be your nurse anesthetist today. I like that. I have never thought about that. She said that in her lecture. I get to be, Mm. which automatically gives them a serotonin release, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I am so honored to be here and be a part of this and, you know, get you through this. You're at a scary point. I take away fear. We're going to do this together. And, and I think, consciousness. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, an elevator speech is really truly just saying, you know, we have a problem. Here's a solution. And here is the process. And it's kind of that part you would play in it. You know, so you're about to have surgery. You're fearful of that. You don't want to have pain. Well, I'm here to take that pain away. And that's like just really simple way to think about an elevator speech. So out in D.C., if we want to go right back up the chain of where we walked it all down from, you know, so many of my run-ins when I've been out here, I've been coming out here since 2008. I have not missed a year. So even as a student, the first time I came out, I caught that fire and I, I knew this is where I needed to be. And it's so amazing how many people I have met that weren't part of the meetings. You know, we work so hard to schedule these hill visits and that's mm-hmm. like so much energy goes into that and they are amazing. And we meet with great staffers and a lot of times really get that time with the Congress people, but not always, you know, those are, there's always hearings and meetings that we can never know in advance. And so when you happen to run in, you know, a lot of times it's in the hallways, the stairwells, the elevators, although I will say, and I shared this earlier too, I swear they all take the stairs. I mean, for all the times well, I have tried. Because they know all the people are on the elevators I think and they, they don't do. want to get caught. They know all the visitors are taking the elevators and they are in the stairwells. Mm-hmm. And that is why those stairs are so worn in. 
I mean, they get a lot of travel. But so it's a, because they've been used for a really long time. Well, they, yes, the history <laughs> yeah. is there. That is. I think for about sure. that when I climb the stairs. I think about the history. Of yes, who's and climbed. whose steps? Yes, have come yeah. before yours. That's that's why I, love. I think it's also big footprints. Yeah. I think the really important piece about the elevator speech is it um, it gives you power. It gives you confidence. You know what you're going to say. You've thought about it. You've put it together. You've honed it. So when you open your mouth, you're not going to sound dumb, right? Isn't that what we're all afraid of? Is that we're going to walk into a legislator's office or the administrator's office or whomever, and you're going to say something that you're going to say, oh my God, I wish I could have taken that back, or I look like an Absolutely. No. And that's the whole beauty of it is it, it's truly a narrative that you control. Mm -hmm. And especially, you know, if we're talking about, you know, nurse anesthetists, because that's what we are, uh, you know, we know our story, we know our profession, we know exactly what we're doing. So an elevator speech, you're picking what you put into that. Like there is no trying to memorize something. This is your story. And that's what we're bringing to DC. And that's, what's amazing. That's not what's in, you know, one pagers and fact sheets. This is the the true stories that we we have from our years of experience. And so I think it's really nice to be able to confidently deliver a message that makes sense that people can hear and take something from or make a connection with. You know, in response to some of those interactions, I have gotten follow-up calls from offices, um, from Congress people. And I've been requested to help set up shadow experiences for their kids that want to, you know, explore that career path. Uh, But it just builds those relationships. You know, I think any time that you don't take advantage of feeling like you do have something to say when you're with people that have influence, you're just, you're passing an opportunity. Or just spreading the message. You know, I always say this bling CRNA pen that I wear is always one of the best PR things there are because people always comment on it. Now, uh, people have heard me say, some people say, Cerna, that's a really nice name. (laughs) But that also (laughs) leaves the opportunity for me to say, I'm a CRNA, and then tell them what a CRNA is and, and launch into my particular elevator speech, but you bring up another good point. You know your profession better than Mm -hmm. anybody else does. And so don't have the fear to tell people about what you do. A lot of times I'll ask people, what do you do for a living? Because what's their next question going to be? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what do you do? (laughs) Exactly. I told you I ran uh, flying. I don't remember which, where I was flying to. It might've been to Guatemala. Our flight attendant was a nurse practitioner. When he found out I was a CRNA, he's like, oh, you're the people who give all the anesthesia and take good care of. I was thinking about becoming a CRNA, but I did NP. You want another cookie? That was. (laughs) You were going to Guatemala. Yes, I was going to Guatemala. You want another cookie? He got me the good cookies. Um, But I, you know, I I didn't have to go into an elevator speech, but he knew. But um, it would have been an opportunity otherwise because we were all medical people on the plane. Is there ever a time where you shouldn't launch into your elevator speech? Is there. You know, um, that's a really great question. I think a lot of with any of our interactions, it's always reading the person, reading the room. You know, if somebody truly is running off to something, I, sometimes I think the most respectful thing is to probably let them go. Um, you know, one of my best interactions that I did have that was an elevator speech that kept going actually resulted, they had a, a group of students there um, and they only had a few minutes. They were doing a photo op, uh, but nobody was there to take the pictures. And so I jumped in and took the pictures. That you know, sounds like you. <laughs> right. And they assumed I was with the group. And so at the end of it, when I was, you know, trying to hand back the, the office camera and you know, I was like, oh, here's your camera. You know, um, by the way, I'm Julie Goderman. I'm a certified registered nurse anesthetist. My group is actually meeting with one of your staffers in a little while. And they were like, wait, what? Like, you're not, 
you're, you weren't part of this kid group. And, you know, I was like, well, no. And they're like, you just stood there and took pictures and didn't even, you know. And so I think you have to read where you're at. So had she not followed up and asked, um, that was with Congresswoman uh, Michelle Bachman at the time. That was my uh, representative. But, you know, if she just did take off and didn't say anything, I think, you know, reading that situation would have been that she only had those few minutes and she was there for that group. That said, I think there's always an opportunity to modify that speech however you need to. So it still would be a great opportunity to have a business card teed up and just say, hey, I'm Julie Goderman. We're meeting later. You know, if you want to chat more, I'm always here. I'd love to be a resource. So, so don't just knock on the stall door in the bathroom next to you and ask if they want <laughs> to hear like your to story. chat a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. They can choose your moments. But if you get invited in there to chat, that's a different there story. If they knock on your door and say, "Hey, do you have any toilet paper?" Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you. Let me write a little note. Certified on it. registered nurse anesthetists <laughs> always have toilet paper. <laughs> but you know what? You talk about business cards, and mm. I have always been a fan of business cards. I still love business cards now I have this little dot on my phone where you can touch my dot with your phone and it'll give you everything but you know that might not be an opportunity any other place that's why you have to have your business cards Mm -hmm. and my business cards have my picture on them now too because I have gotten away and I had a ton of business cards and I'm like oh my god who did this belong to so yeah that'll be kind of a a visual for them oh yeah I remember the tall woman with winter ice hair (laughs) (laughs) I do remember people putting also then like their elevator speech or a quick one about CRNAs on the back of their business card so it kind of reinforces yeah like a mission or a motto even and just kind of like yeah a little bit of what we do I think that's excellent point though I mean being memorable I know I've come away from these meetings with a stack of those cards and you always you assume in the moment when you're taking the card and having that conversation you're like I'm going to remember them. They're great, you know, and then and then you forget. 10 cards later, you're kind of like shuffling, trying to guess which one it was. Well, I try and write notes on the cards that I get to jog my memory. You um, are an anomaly, though. There's not most people who do. <laughs> well, it. I think there are a lot of people who say that for a lot of different reasons. But you know what? I know my, my character flaws, and I try and work around them. <laughs> you all you know heard what? that here. <laughs> One thing I have learned, because we have switched, you talked about your electronic business card, Mm -hmm. you know, that goes right in there. Uh, When we are adding contacts, I do try to add them into my phone quickly if it is somebody that I know I want to reach. And the other little thing I'll do is like, I'll sometimes put their first and last name together. And then on the next line, I will put something that I know I will remember to search by. Mm. So, you know, if it was somebody with, you know, Veterans Affairs, I put it in because I'm like, oh, shoot, was that Kim or who was that? But then I'll search veterans and, you know, then I got yeah. at least everybody that I've put in that way to help, do you know, that and where they work at. Yes. Or something yes. Like to find uh, them. North Dakota or wh- whatever. I do so that. clearly we're talking about a lot of different groups. Mm-hmm. You might want to have several different elevator speeches. Am I hearing you say so? The, what you might say to your administrator would be different mm-hmm. than your federal somebody who's here, maybe than somebody who you see on your state level, your local town yeah. representative or... You know, honestly, the at the core of it, the really short version, if you are anticipating that really short, the most important thing is that you make that connection, mm-hmm. that you professionally can state who you are, what you do, maybe why you're here, or what you can offer for them. You know, again, thinking of that, that process or the problem process solution kind of thing. And so I think crafting it minimally, but then... Obviously, most of the time we do want to actually have a little more personal connection. So the more you know about the person that you are going to be talking to, especially if you know in advance that you're going to be by that office, maybe you'll see them, that kind of thing, and can do your research. If it's your hospital administrator, you know, hopefully you got, you know, a little bit about them. But yeah, to tailor it, you know, what 
what's going to matter to that hospital that you bring to the table versus what's going to matter to a legislator or a governor uh, or even just somebody that works in a staff office. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I had a conversation with Obama's chief of staff, mm-hmm. you know, when he was in there back in like 2010, out here at another, the same conference. You know, so the conversations you have, you really do want to kind of tailor them to, to your audience. It mm. makes you more relevant. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. I would think if you have the opportunity, um, a follow-up note of some sort, an email or a note after your elevator speech, um, doubles down on your impact. Absolutely. Yeah, that follow-up is really important. Uh, Emails can be really nice because they're a lot quicker. So if it is timely, you know, you had a conversation and now you can send off an email, I think that does have its place. I think there is still something that gets noticed about the paper stuff being sent. But remember when you send stuff, you know, to DC offices, it's a pretty long process yeah. before they get those letters. And check for anthrax and everything else. Yes. yes. Yeah. X-rayed and everything. So it is. But send it to their district office. District office will get I it right away. Found that yes. if you send it to their district office it works. But you know, I am a huge fan of handwritten notes and Senator Gail Adcock, who serves in North Carolina, I met her 20 years ago before she got in office. And do you know that she sent me a picture of the first handwritten note she ever got from me when I met her 20 years ago? She sent it to me within the last few months. She said, look what I found. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that you've kept it. She said, well, I knew you'd be something one day. So I kept the note. (laughs) Wow. You know, um, you just brought up another interesting point. Another, maybe other people haven't thought about it. Somebody might not be coming from California to D.C., but they could certainly visit their representative locally. Absolutely. You just mentioned mm-hmm. the district office. And so uh, they, I know they do have sometimes meetings. They're, in, they're supposed to be in their office, right? Because they're, supposed to, be, yeah, they're yeah. supposed to be representing us. Uh, but even if you meet with their staffer, right? You come in and you have your... 100%. It's a really great access point and so much easier to navigate. Uh, the federal uh, legislators, representatives, they usually have more than one office in their district. Mm-hmm. So there's usually going to be one that's pretty close to you. Mm-hmm. You know, And it doesn't matter which one you really choose to go to unless you know they're in town or you know, if you look on their website and they have a, a parade coming up in this town. You can guess they're probably going to be in that closest district office, pretty close to that. Uh, you know, so it's sometimes easier to request those face-to-face meetings and certainly their local staffers. And even just making some connections, I think those meetings are really nice because if you are meeting at the office and it happens to be the one that's in like your town, the chances of those staffers living pretty close by is pretty good. So when you're talking about this hospital or, you know, this population, this community, like they know that community. You know, in D.C., a lot of their staffers might be from the home district or a district, but they do move around a lot or mm-hmm. they, they're D.C. natives. And so um, it's harder sometimes, you know, they know their district. They know it from all of their research and studies and just getting to know different constituents. But in the district, they're going to really truly know it because that is that's where their family lives. That's where they are getting their care. You know, they're the one that if their kid breaks an ankle, they're going to that hospital and and looking for somebody to be taking care of them at midnight Mm -hmm. and making their kid nice and comfortable. Well, you never know how it's going to shake up. What I mean by that is my congressman I had a number of years ago 
his chief of staff decided his family lived back in the district, and so he moved back to the district to run the district office. So he had been his chief of staff Mm. here in D.C. So that was really helpful because I had a relationship with him when he was up here. So then I had him back at the district office. Attention nurse anesthetists. Are you ready to take the first step toward being your own boss? Well, join us for a deep dive into the world of 1099 work with the upcoming workshop, Understanding the 1099 Landscape for CRNAs. Discover the key differences between W-2, PRN, and 1099 work. And equip yourself with essential knowledge, tools, and real-life case studies to make a confident switch to 1099. Not only will you earn up to 5.75 Class A CE credits, but you'll also have the opportunity to learn from the industry's finest, Jeremy Stanley, Sharon Pierce, and more seasoned experts. Plus, enjoy the vibrant sun and golden beaches of Fort Lauderdale while you're at it. This event, approved by the American Association of Nurse Anesthesiology, is set for October 19th at the luxurious Marriott Harbor Beach Resort and Spa. Register now and take the first step toward being your own boss and potentially unlock higher earning potential as a 1099 employee. You can register right now at 1099workshop.aana.com. We'll also link to that in the description of today's show. This is an event not to be missed. We'll see you in Fort Lauderdale. Well, let's go back a little bit to the elevator speech. And, you know, Tracy, you brought up a very good point about having your elevator speech ready based on who and what and where. And it made me think whenever I'm up here in D.C., whenever I go in to speak with someone, I always find my floor. And what I mean by that is I will say, do you know a CRNA or... Because obviously my speech, my elevator speech will be different based on if they say, well, my father's the president of the ASA, okay, or my mother was a CRNA, or my sister's a CRNA, or or whatever, because I don't need to go back to the very beginning. I, I come in at it with a floor. One time I asked that question, I was leading a group in a congressman's office, and I said that to the L.A., the legislative assistant, and she said, I'm a nurse practitioner. Well, everything just changed. What if I would have brain dumped on her Mm -hmm. right there? And I would have been wasting her time, Mm -hmm. my time, when we we could immediately drill down to important issues. Well, and I think that's a great point, though, because, um, you know, we are intentionally meeting with these offices. If you're out in Washington, D.C., and you are scheduling a visit with an office, I think it's really important that we do our homework. You know, if we're walking in, let's make the most of that time. Mm -hmm. So just like you said, you know, establishing what they know, but also I think taking a few minutes to find out what we can know about them in their office. You know, what are their interests? What have they supported in the past? You know, did they already do something that we asked them for, you know, as a group? If we asked them last year to do this and they went and did it, it's so nice to be able to Mm -hmm. say thank you. And then and when we do ask an office that maybe we aren't as familiar, again, because these staffers, like you mentioned, it, there is change, like every, every field, certainly now and before. You know, they move around. So they might switch even just to a different office, a different where they cover in the office can change. You know, so when you ask that question, you know, I'm a certified registered nurse anesthetist, you know, do you know what that is? I've been in visits where, you know, they might say like, oh, yes, I do. You know, and I'm like, can you explain to me kind of, you know, what what your perception of that is? Because I think there's a lot of times a lot of misunderstandings, miseducation, 
I think in the world in general, there's plenty of that, um, you know, but to take the time to clarify and make sure that we both do understand it kind of similarly so that we truly are on the same page, I think is nice. And some people will offer that up. Yeah. Like my dad's a nurse anesthetist, you know, things like that. Um, but when they otherwise don't really expand, I like to try to get a little bit more out of them because sometimes I think when they, what they'll say back is very telling, you know, like, oh, like you guys, you know, you help, Mm -hmm. you're an assistant too, you do that, you know, and it's like, well, actually that's exactly why I'm here. I would love to talk with you more about what we really do, you know? So we've talked about all the good opportunities and, you know, and how we can really make the most of this. Um, Have, I know I had an incident once that I was able to turn around a year later, but have you ever had an elevator speech go bad? Um, Or go not the way you wanted. That's more likely. Well, <laughs> and I'll tell you my story. I'll t- show you mine if you show me yours. Oh, do um, tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always take a look. <laughs> mine was I went into my congressman's office, and he's still there, so I'm not going to say. And um, I met with the chief of staff, and I said, oh, you know, we had tried to get an appointment. I'd like to leave something. He would not let us get barely through the doors. And he oh, said, I remember this. He said, oh. You're the nurses who want to make a lot of money. You all think you're doctors. And I said, well, no, that's not exactly right. Can I goes, I know all about you. He goes, you just want to make a lot of money and you don't have half the education. He went at me. He would not let me in the door. And um, this legislator, his district office is in my town. Um, he'd been there for a long time. I got his card because he was more than happy to give it to me. And we left. And the following year... I didn't even try to make an appointment and I went into the office and um, I said to the the receptionist, I said, I'm just going to leave paperwork off is, you know, I said, I have to say the last time we were here, it was a less than stellar meeting. I said, we could not get through the door, but I'm coming into the congressman's office one more time in an attempt to see if my representative would like to hear from me. So that was my speech, figuring, Mm -hmm. let's see where she goes with that. And... um, I had a different one another time. And and so she said, what do you mean? And apparently he was on his way out of the office, like leaving that office going elsewhere. The physicians had been there the week before and he bought everything that they told him. And perhaps he had an anesthesiologist family member. Um, But next thing you knew, we were ushered into the room with the good water and with the congressman. And he spent about half an hour with us listening to us. So my elevator speech was just that little piece. It worked. It's Jersey, Jersey. Uh, but it works. But it worked here in D.C., So that was my bad. Uh, He wouldn't even let me speak. You know, and I think that's really interesting when those interactions do happen, because at the end of the day, what's the harm in listening to somebody? You know, even if you don't think you're going to agree, even if you think you know exactly what they're going to say, I mean, why not give them the time? They traveled all the way out here. And I have heard so many stories like that from different groups. Uh, Over the years, I've definitely had a number of meetings that, you know, we've had a, a representative that hasn't been as supportive. Uh, we had one where, you know, we met and it just, they were newer in office at the time. And we met with a staffer that just really was not, they were newer into like the healthcare covering that arena. And so they weren't well versed in stuff, but not only that, but they just didn't really seem engaged in wanting to, to learn what we were saying at all. And, and it was a year that our physician colleagues had been out there just prior. And so there was a lot of misinformation or just different sides of the stories, right? Like we all have a story to tell. And I always love being able to talk about the truthful side of exactly what we do, because that is our best thing ever. I love what I do. And so uh, the meeting went, like I said, it was, we got to meet, we were in the door and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we did our best, you know, and just kind of talked through everything. And then when we went to leave, 
out of like one of the other doors, because again, they have multiple doors to their offices. The congressman was walking out and he was on crutches. And, and so we, you know, easy to catch up to. Sure. But, <laughs> <laughs> Even in high heels. Even in high heels. Didn't really have to run. And uh, so, you know, we caught up with him and, and just kind of very nicely, you know, introduced ourselves and, you know, like, hey, you know, I noticed you're on crutches. Um, you know, I hope whatever you went through, I hope you're recovering well. You know, did you, you know, did you have surgery? Did you want to talk about it? And like did share that he recently had had a, a knee surgery. And, um, and we were like, oh, like, you know, it was that in the district, you know, where was that? At? Yeah. You know, and when he said the hospital, we were like, oh, wow. Like, so you had your knee surgery, your anesthesia would have been by a nurse anesthetist. And he's like, well, no, I think, it, you know, I'm not sure, but I, it was, I think it was a doc and stuff. And we said, well, no, actually there's, there's no anesthesiologist at that hospital. Uh, you know, so it would have been a nurse anesthetist. Like, how was your experience? And he's like, well, it was great. You know, he had a, a block to cover his pain that lasted a good amount of time after. He had a lovely recovery, a great experience. All positive things to say, but in his mind, and again, that goes back to our bedside elevator speech, mm -hmm. making that point of contact. So people really understand who's taking care of them and who is a part of their care, but also what you do. I'm a nurse anesthetist. Uh, you know, and make sure they understand that because he had his whole surgery and didn't really understand that that was who took care of him. And so we ended up with a really great kind of happenstance elevator type visit that had a lot of impact. And all because, again, I mean, you could tell he had some sort of healthcare experience recently. Mm -hmm. Well, whenever we talk about the elevator speech and what could be specifics, I know this question came up today whenever you were given your lecture today and where do you get your facts and if you go to the AANA website it used to be called uh, nurse anesthesia at a glance if you Tracy remembers we served on the public relations committee in the late 1990s when we were children very small children we were very talented early, early <laughs> yes, on prodigies we were, I believe she was 13 I was 12 <laughs> Oh, you guys, just ahead of your time. We Look really at you. were. Child we prodigy. We were. But now they call it the Certified Registered Nurse Anesthetist Fact Sheet. So if you just Google that, it will come straight up, and it'll have all the data that you have. Um, if you want to put together your little elevator speech, you know, I'm a Certified Registered Nurse Anesthetist. Nurses have been giving anesthesia for over 150 years. The first anesthetics, besides God, was given by nurse anesthetists. There's over 60,000 of us in this country. We get 59 million anesthetics a year, whatever. All of that. You can't tell that I've said these things a few times, but mm -hmm. that way everything is there because there was some question about getting the correct data whenever Yeah, the best speaking. sources for it. And up to date because that is updated. Absolutely. And those numbers speak volumes. Like when you talk numbers that big, you know, even and like I know that people have talked about too the importance of tying it to like their state then. So, you know, how many of those nurse anesthetists might be in Minnesota, where I'm from, mm -hmm. or North Carolina? You know, and how many of their hospitals? You and know, how many you might say yes. in your district do you know that every hospital has CRNA staffing? And if they didn't, or um, the VA, or especially with the one to one VA, which we have <laughs> in our state, mm -hmm. I try and use that as do you realize that people are, you've got two people giving one anesthetic and you have people waiting in line and missing opportunities for health? Why are we doing that? Which is a really great point right yeah. now. Like this is the time for that disruption. Yes. Like that shouldn't have been the place in the practice ever. No. It was never necessary. It was never validated. You're paying uh, two people to yeah. do one job and we have soldiers waiting in line for care and missing yes. opportunities. I mean, half the workforce shortage mm -hmm. is truly a workforce underutilization. Yes. Mm, that's a good 
That's mm-hmm. a good sound bite right there. <laughs> I love and that. And it's all the truth. It is all the truth. Sometimes necessarily the truth doesn't win. Um, but that's a whole other podcast. Now, so. I know you touched upon that, but if somebody was inspired right now, you know, I really need to put together my elevator speech. What yeah. would you tell them? How do they start? Because now they're really into this. And you know what you're talking about because you're comfortable with the language. Somebody who's not comfortable. You know, I think the starting point is, first of all, I mean, I think writing things down, practicing it when you're just really trying to like get a flow of it, because it's one thing I think we all have this. It's easy to be like, oh, that'd be easy. I could do that until you're actually on the spot doing it. Oh, and then we it has to be done like, ahead oh. of time. You have to be comfortable with it. Yeah. And practice it with somebody. So I think, you know, figuring out number one, you know, we can all rattle off. Hi, I'm, you know, so-and-so I'm a certified registered nurse anesthetist. Uh, and then figuring out where you want to go from there. And it depends who you are anticipating, I think, giving this to, you know, if you want to keep it more broad for just any run-in, you know, you talk about, um, I deliver anesthesia care, you know, in all practice settings personally. I work in a rural setting. I provide, you know, obstetrical, you know, epidurals, trauma stabilization, pain management, whatever you're doing, um, you know, so that patients have access to high quality care right in their uh, hometowns. They're not driving really far and they get to see consistent faces that they know in the community, like things like that. But if you're looking at, you know, a legislator, I really think it's important to do your homework. You know, I think your starting point would be, you know, know who your representative is. So, and go online and don't just go to the campaign websites, go to their actual legislative website. Look at what they put out there for their interests and their passions and what got them into this position, you know, and, and try to find those connections. Uh, look at their committees. Are they into healthcare committees? Because we're healthcare providers. That's going to be a big interest. And we want to make sure we, you know, hone in on those legislators and really highlight the efforts they're making. You know, you say you want to improve healthcare, and you care about the opioid crisis and all these things. You're on the veterans, you know, committee. So I'm part of that solution. So when you craft your elevator speech, you're roping all of those things in. And again, this isn't a 10 minute speech. So trying to decide what your closest connection is. What are they going to hear? Because you want them to pick up on something that they're like, yes, I am into, you know, really passionate about the care our veterans receive. And you said you work at the VA or, you know, that nurse anesthetists provide, you know, care at, at all of these. And what did you say about supervision there? I always say it's a, a hope that at some point, maybe at the end of the day, uh, you know, they're decompressing, they're thinking about what else is going on. They might be like, oh yeah, I ran into that Tracy. I got to see if I have that card. And I know that her group met with my people. I got to ask about that. You know, that was kind of interesting. So it's like a good book cover, the, the synopsis on the back that catches your attention. You're really not trying for it to be all detailed lead and you don't need to get everything out in one. What you want them to do is open the book and come back and ask for more information. Absolutely. Have you ever sat in a wedding and during the message in the middle of the part, you kind of like, you realize you zone out because all of a sudden they're announcing like, you know, the couple or they something. You're like, oh, like, yay, we're all clapping. <laughs> You don't want them zoning out. Yeah. The elevator speech is not meant to zone out at any point. You want them to be like, wait a minute. And maybe they, they have a follow-up question. Or at least they come back or they open a book and, and find out more information. Yes. So don't make it overly detailed. And don't say things like, you want to fix the opioid crisis? <laughs> I got your fix right here. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm so-and-so and um, I've been working really hard on a committee or in my town to help identify youth at risk for addiction. Maybe you start like that because you know what they want, but you tell them how you are, like you said, 
problem process solution. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. You want to get them in. It's like almost like a job interview and you're hoping yeah. for that second call back. Yeah. You know, you hope you give there just you enough go. that they're like, I'm interested in her. Or like, first date. She's got more to offer. Yeah. First date. There yes. you go. Yeah. yeah you go date. from the speed dating, yeah. you know. Which I would do if I was I ever. I would be so I would, entertaining. I would so do that. But anyway, even that's though not Pierce is gonna, speech. Pierce is going to outlive me. So it's, it's a moot point anyway. Can you imagine Pierce in a speed date setting? Oh, oh my God. God. <laughs> He'd have every single one, every single one of the women would go home with him, mm-hmm. you know, because everybody loves Pierce. But we have covered a lot of ground. And both of you ladies, for your first time, have done an incredible job. So, Julie, is there any concluding thoughts that you would like to leave with our listeners? You know, uh, thank you to everybody for their time. Thank you for being here. But I think, I hope everybody takes away that there is no special qualification to have an impact on somebody or something. You are your best expert of whatever you are going to want to talk about. Control your narrative. And so think about what you want people to hear from what you do. And you have that power. And I just think it's so easy to think that somebody else is more knowledgeable, more prepared, uh, farther you know, in their careers, that they're the ones that should be the one doing it. But at the end of the day, the whole thing with elevator speeches and pitches is you're the one that's there. Mm-hmm. So make, make the most of being there. Be in that moment. Well, thank you, Julie, for joining us today. I knew when I met you and you introduced yourself to me all those years ago, you were still a student, um, that you were going to be something one day. Um, you can you can spot the stars and you've done a great job for your state and it's been a real pleasure watching you grow over these last few years even though I guess it's been more than a few more than a few more it's really kind of crazy so I think it's a wrap so thank you for listening to Beyond the Mass with the absent Jeremy Stanley myself <laughs> Sharon Pierce and guest co-host Tracy Castleman <laughs> if you like our show and want to help us grow. Tracy, can you tell our listeners how to help the show grow? Well, the best way to help us is to like the show, especially the ones that I'm on now. Absolutely. (laughs) Share it on social media, tell your friends and leave a review, but make it positive. As Jeremy says, we all know there is enough negativity in the world. And did you know that Beyond the Mask is in the top 50 medical podcasts in the country and number one in the CRNA community? And that's all because of our listeners. Thank you to all of our listeners. Until the next time. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855 855- 304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. 
Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.